Well, we're really delighted to welcome Beth and Collins into our church family. And my wife and I are particularly delighted because Dan and Ali now have two daughters and we have four sons. And I have to say, the older I get, the more sensible arranged marriage seems to be. I've started talking to Dan about this. Just think about it. When else do you get to choose your in-laws? We really like Dan and Ali. And a couple of arranged marriages would give us a chance to hang out with them as we sit around a roaring fire watching our grandchildren frolic in the distance. And you have to admit, romantic love has distinct limitations when it comes to making life choices. I know those kids are young, but you've got to think about the future. But seriously, having children does change the way you look at life. You start to worry about someone else more than you worry about yourself. You start to worry about what they're eating. Those two babies that are born this week, oh, are they getting enough milk, enough nutrients? You even worry about their weight. You know their weight down to the ounce. And have you ever been concerned with what is going on with someone else's poo? (laughs) Suddenly it's very interesting to you. You want the best for them. And especially when it comes to the big stuff. Dan and Ali, what do you really want for those two girls? And you other parents here, Matt, new dad, he looks remarkably fresh-faced, doesn't he? What do you really want for your children? You want them to know what to do about the really important things in life, and you want them to make good decisions, don't you? Now that takes us right into the heart of Christianity. And that's what we're thinking about today, and for the next four weeks, we're thinking about the gospel, the good news about Jesus. What is Christianity all about? Now, I dare say that a lot of people here today think that the Bible is basically a book of rules. You think it's basically a lot of do this, don't do that, and you feel like you just never make the grade. You think God is basically a rule maker, and you can't keep jumping through those hoops. So you live your life with a sense of guilt, not good enough. But the problem with that is this. If you see God as a distant, frowning, angry deity who sets the rules that you always fail, you basically carry around this sense of guilt and failure and it is not freeing and it will never change your life. It doesn't change your heart. It just makes you feel bad. And here's the thing. That is not true Christianity. Now, some other people here are looking in. You're kind of looking in the window. You're looking into the Christian faith. You've heard the songs. You've seen the reading. You're sort of observing. You're trying to figure it out. Some of what you see you like. Some of it you really don't like. You're trying to understand, what is it all about? Now, sometimes Christians make it too complicated. And Christian preachers are the most guilty of that. We make it too complicated. So today, I'm really trying hard to cut through the complexity and give you the heart of Christianity. And I think there's a third type of person here today. You're on your way out of Christianity. At some level, you've had enough. Maybe because of events in your life that have made you question, where is God? Does he even care? Or, because the version of Christianity that you have seen is so joyless 
and irrelevant that you don't like the look of it and it doesn't seem to speak to life as it really is. Now, I just want to ask you to think again. Just think again with me. Because I don't think you have seen Jesus as he really is. You haven't looked in his face and felt the force of his love for you. And so you've never experienced the power of the good news, the gospel to change your life. Will you think again today? I've got three points. It's very simple. I've hardly got any illustrations, but I was very encouraged. Peter's first Christian sermon, he had no illustrations, so I've got to think three more than him. Okay. (coughs) Three points. The The most important person you'll ever meet, the best news you'll ever hear, and the biggest decision you'll ever make. The most important person you'll ever meet. Have you ever met a VIP? Ten years ago, I was working for a headhunting firm in central London. We did an assignment for a chief executive role in the Prince of Wales' favourite charity, the Prince's Foundation. And we ran our usual process. We did a big search and we found candidates. We interviewed them. We put them through. They went to see a a panel. And finally, we got down to a great final candidate, an American man. We flew him in from uh, Arizona. But the appointment couldn't be made without an interview with the Prince who up until that point had not been involved, and I'd certainly never met him. We'd been dealing with his advisors. And the candidate, whose name was Hank, phoned me up and said, what do I do when I meet him? What do you do when you meet royalty? And I said, with absolute conviction, I've got no idea. (laughs) But we found out, and it, it all went smoothly. You got the job. Now, earlier on, we just read... John and Mel have read about a unique event in world history. It's the occasion of the first Christian sermon. The Holy Spirit, God, comes to earth in a dramatic fashion. There's the sound of a rushing wind and these fires, tongues of fire seem to settle over these people's heads and they speak in languages that they didn't know intelligibly. It's incredible. It's a unique occasion. It's just a few weeks after Jesus Christ had been crucified risen from the dead, and gone to heaven, ascended. And these closest followers are huddled together, they're praying, they're wondering what's going to happen next. Now, we don't have time to go into the details, but let me tell you, I I think there are three things here that show us that Jesus is the most important person you'll ever meet. Firstly, Jesus gives access to God. Now, every human being who ever lived has grappled with these questions at some point or other. Is there a God What is God like? How could I know God? Woody Allen famously said, if there is a God, I wish he'd give me a sign. Like putting a large deposit in my name in a Swiss bank account. Two years ago, I visited a place called Haridwar in North India. Now, Haridwar is a place where you can access the river Ganges very easily. It has a lot of temples built up around this particular site. Hindus regard it as one of the seven holiest places on earth. And the year before, a festival or a pilgrimage called the, I don't know how you pronounce this, Kumbh Mela, had been held there. And millions, literally millions of pilgrims will walk, sometimes for hundreds of miles, to this site to wash their sins away in the river Ganges. Last year, listen to this, 100 million people went on the pilgrimage. Can you imagine that? 
A hundred million people? The movement of human bodies is actually visible from space. Millions of people walking. Now, that's a lot of people wanting access to God. What this passage of the Bible is saying is that Jesus brings that access. Peter says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, sons, daughters, young, old, male, female. So he's talking about access to God for everyone. And not by making a pilgrimage to a special place and washing in certain waters and doing certain rituals, but by God coming down to us. You notice the direction of travel here. God comes down. Jesus makes it possible for anyone to know God. More than that, to have God enter your life and transform it. Now that's, that's a miracle. Let me ask, have you actually experienced that? Have you actually felt a difference in your life because God is at work in you? Have you seen your life change for the better? Have you become more loving? I'm not saying perfect. More patient, kind, generous, gracious. Are you more able to forgive? That's what the Holy Spirit does when he comes into a person's life. What about you? Jesus gives access to God. Jesus also rules the world. Peter quotes an old psalm from the Old Testament. Psalm 110, which says that uh, the Lord sits at God's right hand. Now, Jewish people had long debated what this actually meant. Who is this Lord who sits at God's right hand? And they'd waited and waited for a special king, a king who would defeat their enemies and rule in peace and justice. And they had good cause to yearn for peace and justice. Israel, if you think about where Israel is on the map, it was sort of like a little... uh, Football in the middle of some big superpowers. And it would get kicked around here and there. Different empires marched through and kicked them around. They took them over and oppressed them and taxed them. And the Jews dreamed of this special king who would set them free, the Messiah. Now Peter says here, Jesus is that king. That's what the word Christ means. Messiah, Jesus Messiah, King Jesus. He's God's special king. But if you excuse the phrase for a moment, Jesus is the Messiah on steroids. He's not just what they expected. Because Jesus hadn't just come to set up an independent Jewish state like we have today. He rose from the dead and he went into heaven. Not to Jerusalem. He goes to heaven and he's seated at God's right hand. Now what does that mean? The old versions it says seated on God's right hand I think. That's a funny image. (laughs) Well, the right hand is the hand of power, authority, and strength. It's the hand of rule. So seated at God's right hand means he's in the place of ultimate authority in the universe. Jesus Christ is in charge. He reigns far above all earthly powers. All presidents, prime ministers, kings, queens, and emperors, Jesus Christ rules. And his rule is seen... Not in armies tramping and and fighting, but as millions and millions of people acknowledge that he is Lord, turn their lives over to him, put him in the driving seat, and experience his life-transforming power. Do you know him? He's the most important person you'll ever meet. He gives access to God. He rules the world. 
Third thing we learn, it's even more mind-blowing, Jesus is God in the flesh. Now Peter here is talking to a, a big crowd. I guess Peter had a carrying voice. So this huge crowd of devout religious Jews. Many of the, these people take their faith seriously. Many of them had travelled hundreds of miles. You know that list of countries that Mel, bless her, read out? Egypt, and Pamphylia, wherever that is, where the pamphlet was invented, probably. <laughs> Phrygia, where the fridge was invented. Hey, none of this is in the script. It's all spontaneous. <laughs> better stop, better stop, focus. Now, these have travelled hundreds of miles to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast of Pentecost. It's like the Harvest Festival. These people know their Bibles, what we call the Old Testament. And Peter does something really amazing. He quotes this prophet, Joel. And it's all blood and thunder and fire and smoke. and Whoa! Sounds like the end of the world. It is. And at the end of the quote, Joel says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And all these people, I imagine a lot of them were men with beards, Big beards, wagging their, wagging their beards. And saying, yeah, yes, yes, that's right. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Preach it. And then in verse 38, Peter says, Repent, which means change your mind. Change your mind and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Not the name of the Lord, the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Now you see what Peter just did? switch to turn the tables around quite brilliant he says he plays his trump card you call on the name of the lord you now call on the name of jesus which means that jesus is god in the flesh the most important person you will ever meet the most important person you'll ever meet now the bible teaches that one day we will all meet him after we die or he returns we'll all meet him but you know what in a sense you are meeting him now You're meeting him today. As we read the Bible and we hear preaching that's faithful, we encounter Jesus. And I want to ask, is there someone here who knows right now that the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to you? There's somebody who knows that. Is he becoming real to you? Far beyond this fairly average sermon... Is Jesus actually dealing with you now? Listen, don't put him off. Are you feeling drawn to him? It's a divine appointment. The most important person you'll ever meet. Secondly, and it gets more brief, the best news you'll ever hear. Now, so far, what we've been talking about could be uh, sort of taken as a bit abstract, a bit sort of uh, academic, It's all a bit out there, you know, talking about Jesus and a sermon that was preached 2,000 years ago. And, you know, it's possible to believe the Bible and believe Jesus and for it never to make an iota of difference in your life. I lived like that for many years. Brought up in a Christian home, taught the Bible, used to win the Sunday school quiz every time, hands down. But it made no difference to my life because it wasn't personal. And this is the thing, true Christianity is always personal. And you see this in this this passage that we read. Peter doesn't just tell us how great, important Jesus is. 
He turns the tables and he gets very personal. And here's what he says. You killed Jesus. <laughs> he says to them, you killed Jesus. You killed? What is he talking about? Most of the people who were listening, and there were several thousand, hadn't even been involved in the crucifixion, which was about seven or eight weeks before. Most of them weren't even in town. They just came in for Pentecost. What do you mean you killed Jesus? He says it twice. You crucified him. And they accept it. Now why? At one level, it's their understanding of responsibility. Corporate. And we, we kind of get this. You know, our representatives did it. If British soldiers commit an atrocity somewhere else in the world, the Prime Minister apologises on behalf of the nation. They're our representatives. They did it, but, but we sort of did it. Now, that's one thing. But, you know, there's, more, there's much more to this. The Bible goes even further. It says that Jesus was killed to forgive sins. Sins. Now, we've all sinned. Let me give some examples. We can all think of things that we've done, or things we've said, or things we've thought, which we regret deeply. We can all think of people who we've hurt, people who deserve better. We can think of times when we've been mean-spirited, spiteful, nasty, unfair. Times when we've wounded other people. We've often lived as if we are the centre of the world and everybody else should revolve around us. We are proud, lustful, arrogant, Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay for all that. To take the penalty for my sins. Yours. So here's the surprising claim of Christianity. You killed Jesus. You killed him too. You didn't have a hammer and... Uh, bang some nails into his wrists and hang him up on the cross and uh, pull out his beard and spit on him. But you, you killed him. Your sin took him there. We are responsible because of our sins, which are many. Now, where do you go from there? You're thinking, I thought this point was the best news you'll ever hear. <laughs> so far, it doesn't sound like very good news. We killed Jesus. But the second thing is this. Jesus loves us. Jesus Christ loves you. Verse 38 says, Peter says, change your mind and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness. Elsewhere the Bible says, greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Now, Jesus Christ laid down his life, not for his friends, for his enemies. For his enemies. Before you ever knew him, before you ever thought of him, before you were even remotely interested in him, and maybe you're not now, Jesus Christ laid down his life for you. Two things held him to the cross. They weren't nails. The first was our sin. The second was his love for you. He loves you. 
There's no other way to understand that cross. Jesus, Messiah, loves you. There's no greater love. He gave his whole self, everything he had, he gave it for you. He wouldn't hold anything back to win your heart. Yes, you killed Jesus, but he loves you. He went to to die intentionally. He went to the cross, the strong, laying down his life for the weak, to achieve something, because by his death he could offer forgiveness freely. Freely, pour out his grace. He wanted to take away your sin and set you free to live with him in a new kind of life, a new relationship. And now he invites you to follow him. This is the heart of Christianity. So let me ask, do you know this? Do you know this? Has it got under your skin? Do you accept that you killed Jesus? But do you sense how much he loves you? That is the heart of true Christianity. And you know, when you finally get that, it sets you free. That's when you realize that Christianity is not just a bunch of rules, but a life-transforming relationship. Because he loved me and gave himself for me. I can live a new life. I'm trying to think about an illustration of this. I couldn't think of anything. I finally got one. It's not, not great, but here it is. A human example. We have got, my wife and I have got five children. I know we don't look old enough. Five children. And one of them can be particularly hard-hearted. He's, he's just very, very hard work. And I, I don't know how many times we've had to instruct him about certain things, and he just goes and does the opposite. He, he's actually now been given an autistic spectrum diagnosis, which to a certain extent explains why he does not get what's going on in our heads. He doesn't sort of read how we feel. And he, uh, it, sometimes it feels like we've been banging on and on about these rules, trying to get him to behave forever. Just want to go and lie down under a bus. But there have been a few times where my wife has broke, he's like he's broken her heart. She's just broken down. Salt. Not uh, meaning to do it, but just, just too much. She's looked him in the eye and said, James, do you realize how much you've hurt mummy? And then he changes. Then he changes. Now, the best news you'll ever hear is that Jesus, you killed Jesus, but he loves you. He loves you. And if you look him in the eye and see him then, that will change everything. Thirdly, finally, therefore, is the biggest decision you'll ever make. This teaching about Jesus leads us to a decision. Leads us to a point. We have to choose. We're going to follow him. We'll pursue our own path as we always have. We started out today thinking about children and the things you really care about children is that they make good choices, make good decisions in life. Well, this is the biggie. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ, friends? What are you going to do with him? Notice what happened to some of those first hearers of the good news. Verse 37 says they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. It got to them. It was personal. This word cut, an unusual word, it means stabbed, pierced, sharp pain. They, they felt it. It impacted on their own spirit. Jesus Christ died for me. I killed him. But he wants to forgive me. He loves me. Now there's a major difference. Um, there's a big difference in life between accepting that you've done wrong and sort of thinking, oh yeah, I broke the rules. 
just feeling bad. There's a big difference between that and being cut to the heart. So we all, we all make mistakes and we all do bad things, we all sin, we feel bad. But there's a big difference between that sense of guilt and being cut to the heart. The guy who preached this sermon, Peter, knew the difference. On the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus was arrested uh, in, in the, the, the dark, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was bundled down to a kind of rough justice, sort of kangaroo court type of trial. It was all a bit unofficial. They got some soldiers, they blindfolded him, they beat him up. They then hauled him before some uh, religious leaders who then questioned him. They brought in witnesses. It was rough, rough justice. It was one of those nights anything could have happened. And Jesus' followers were scared. Really scared. But Peter, this guy, was a strong guy and a brave man, followed along. He kind of kept his distance. He wanted to be there, but he was, he was very frightened. He was terrified. And he tried to stay in touch with it. And <coughs> that night in the courtyard, Peter denied that he ever knew Jesus. Three times, people came up to him and said, you, you were with him, weren't you? You sound, you've got the same accent. You're from up north, Galilee. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. He denied Jesus three times. And yet, at one moment, he looked across, and we don't know how it happened, whether Jesus was brought out or it was an open forum. And he looked across, and Jesus turned and looked at him straight in the eye. And at that moment, Peter went from feeling bad to being cut to the heart. He went outside and he wept bitterly. He had let his Lord down. You see, he was cut to the heart. Something inside of him broke. He realised that sin isn't just sin. It's personal. It's against him. It's not sin against the distant rule maker. It's sin against the friend who loves you. And that realisation changed Peter forever. And here he is, boldly speaking up in front of thousands of people, risking his own safety. He chose... To love Jesus. He had a change of mind. Repentance, it's called. And he publicly identified with Jesus. Now, when you really see how great Jesus Christ is, the most important person you'll ever meet, when you see that sin is personal, but then you see how he loved you, it changes you. It changes you. And this is the heart of Christianity. So let me come back. As we close to you, friends, where are you in all this? Are you a Christian who is living under a cloud? He's just living under a cloud. There's no freedom in your life. You're just you're sort of mooching along from one thing to the next. You, you've got no joy. Listen, look at Jesus again. Are you a non-Christian person looking in? I'm trying to tell you the heart of Christianity today. Or are you a person on their way out of the faith. Let me ask you, have you ever looked at Jesus and realised that your sin is personal? He put him on the cross. Have you been cut to the heart and seen that you killed him, but have you ever realised how much he loves you? On that day, 3,000 people changed their mind about Jesus and were baptised to show that change. Now, I'm not going to ask for 3,000. But is there just maybe one person here today 
who has been spoken to throughout this meeting. You, you know that the Lord has been knocking on your door and today you need to change your mind and turn and trust him. Well, if there is a person like that, it would be my privilege to talk to you afterwards. I'll hang around here and uh, we could chat. Shall we pray? They were cut to the heart and said to Peter, Brothers, what shall we do? And he replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Gracious Lord, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for the joy of seeing little Bethan and Eva and the family here. It's been a good day. Thank you that, uh, Lord, you are at work in our world and you're at work here in Manchester. Thank you that uh, you promise here that those who trust Jesus, who repent, will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, will receive new life. And so we pray, grant us that today. Amen.